0: Please join with me as we read 1 John 4 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love sorry, cast out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears... has not been perfected in love. (laughs) Thanks, guys. (laughs) Mm. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Hey, hold on, Stephanie. uh, What what was making you, what was making you choke up? I'm curious.
0: Oh, I've had a really, I've had a really um, difficult week and I've been trying to, uh, trying to live in a trusting place and trying to remember that fear is not the driving force of my life, but it's his love. And it's that he's called me to be his trusting child. So that every time I practiced, I was crying. So I was like, well, and all the songs this morning were about mercy and grace and love. And I was like, I'm not going to make it. So I didn't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, it was beautiful. Thank oh, you. Thanks, thanks for letting us <clears> know. <throat> okay, up for Stephanie. <clears throat> that, <clears throat> that is what the scriptures do when they are deep in our soul, right? They, uh, they start to stir the heart and the life. So that's beautiful. Well, again, my name is Matt. And I think I mentioned that I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad to be here. Um, Juliet Turner, who happens to be Carissa, who's leading worship over here this morning's daughter and Kevin also. Um, she goes by Jules. Uh, I think we talked about her last week or a couple weeks ago, right, Carissa? She's super friendly, and she happened to start school this you know, a couple weeks ago, and she, one of her first assignments was that she was supposed to come up with a superhero and talk about its superpowers. And uh, so this is, this is what she came up with, um, that her superhero's name was Love Girl, and that her superpower would be love, Lovening. I, no, I'm just joking. And this is what the superhero outfit looks like. How awesome is this? And so she's sitting there and talking to her parents. She's looking at them and saying, like, here's what I came up with. She's like, listen, so and, and they are they they're such they're really great parents. Um, but as all parents, and my kids call me Dream Crusher, so like I totally get this. They were like, Well, no, like that doesn't work, you know. The things you do with your kids, you know, like that is that really gonna work though? You know, like they're thinking like, you know, like violence or something like that. Like, that's not a real superpower. And um, she goes, well, yeah. Like if, if two people are fighting, then, like, then I would come and I would make them love one another. And then they would stop fighting. And, and she said, and if someone, I think Kevin's like, well, what if someone's robbing a bank? You know, like prove, prove it. And uh, she's like, she's got an answer. She's like, well, but then I just, I would basically show up and I would let this person, they would know, I would make them love the people by saying, this is not my stuff and I shouldn't be taking their money and, and they wouldn't rob anymore. And they were a little stumped by their six-year-old. So Kevin this last week was telling me this story and he's like, there's nothing like when your six-year-old reminds you of a deeper theology than the practical things that you're talking about with them. And that's some of what we're talking about this morning is the, the deep story of the love of God. Now, ironically, we've been actually kind of talking about this love story for over a year now as we've been walking through the pages of Scripture. And I think what Jules knows uh, is something that's been evident from the very beginning of time, from the Garden of Eden, that since Genesis chapter 3, like we've, which we've been reading for oh, since, since about a year ago, right? It's been a minute. Humankind's been looking for a superhero, someone who's going to make things right. Undo the effects of the curse. And what happened and what we saw as we read through is that God promised and he, he lived that out in the midst of a nation with a promise to come and then he fulfilled that promise and he sent one, not Supergirl, but, but the man of love, Jesus Christ. And he did so to communicate among other things through him that you are loved which is what we say at the end of every single service. Because at the end of the day, there are a lot of elements to our faith. There are a lot of realities that unfold in faith and grace, but at the end of the day, for you to come here or to walk through your days or to walk out of here knowing one thing that you are loved is actually the very fabric of what it means to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who knows they are loved. Do you know that? That's what it means to be a Christian. It means to know that you are loved. Which is why verse 7 starts with beloved. One who is loved, one who is a child of God and and, and knows it. Beloved, you will then love. You will then love. Now, love is a huge topic, right? Like, I love masamon beef, I love the eagles. I love my family, and I love God. Now, those are not the same things, right? Love has been, <laughs> the conversation about love, about what it looks like, what it can be, is vast and as confusing at times. And oftentimes, it can even be elusive. What does it really mean? Maybe mysterious. We have love islands and old-school love connections, love stories. We have book, books and, and billboards, and bumper stickers that say love is love, which what does that mean exactly? So who knows really? And it's as though in the midst of this confusing reality, not just in our culture, but really around the world for all times of what is this thing called love that the apostle John at the end of his life steps in and answers that great question that was raised by the famous 1984 band Foreigner in their song, I want to know what love is, right? And I want you to, I want you to show me. And it's like John, way back before Foreigner was like, I hear you. Let me show you. And this is what we're going to see. What is this love? Well, this passage, we're going to hopefully unlock a little bit of the mystery of what that means, of what this love looks like. We believe that God gives us three things as we try to understand it. One, he issues a command, love, which challenges our hearts about love. And secondly, he sends his son, which frees our hearts to love. And lastly, he gives his Holy Spirit, which empowers our hearts to love. So let's start with, he issues a command which challenges our hearts about love. It starts right there at the beginning. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, from Christ, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You must love, the scripture says. Jesus says you must love. Why does this challenge our hearts about love? Well, we need to feel the right weight about this commandment. Like one of the things that, that John could have commanded in the life of the believer, of what it means to follow Jesus, could have been all kinds of different things, right? We'd say, John, it seems kind of uh, maybe obvious. You could probably go talk to anyone out there from any country, maybe from any city, from any family, and say, how important is love? And be like, I'm, love matters a ton. It's one of the most important things. It may be the most important thing. Why didn't John talk about, hey, let's a commandment not to steal, you know, or, or not to envy? Even in the midst of a fractured, divided community, culture, country, like, we would all probably mostly still agree, like, love really matters. It's one of the most important things, which is why it's read at every single wedding in, you know, the First Corinthians 13 passage. Believers or unbelievers will read the passage, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love never ends. It's like yeah that's that's what we want that's some kind of a general sense of, of love because we know intuitively that you can be the most successful person you can be the wealthiest person in the world but if you don't have love then you don't have anything so it's like well, it's like air right it's like the air we breathe it's so why is John commanding us to just breathe to just do the thing that comes naturally is kind of obvious well because Though it's everywhere and though it's talked about and alluded to, we need to feel the weight of the commandment because if we're honest, unlike breathing left to ourselves, we don't have any real idea what it looks like to do and live out this kind of love. The kind of love does not come naturally to any of us. And, And Mother Teresa was super aware of this. Now, this is a woman who, you know, was in Calcutta. And dealing with leprous colonies. But one of the things that happened over the years is they started creating orders in places like England and in America. And people would ask her, why? This is all this wealth. Why in the world are you bringing orders here? And, uh, and this is one of the quotes that relates to this question. She said, she said the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The property, excuse me, the poverty of, in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger, she says, for love, as there is a hunger for God. Now, let's be honest. We're in an unprecedented times, even now, even in the midst of all the COVID realities of, of wealth and prosperity. As a, as a nation, and certainly as, even around the world, yet, yet we are hungrier than ever. We're more impoverished than ever in love. That's what Mother Teresa is saying. And we know it, which is why the commandment challenges our heart. What is this love? And the reason it challenges our heart is like C.S. Lewis points out in his famous book, The Four Loves, that there's different kinds of loves. And one particular love that we naturally just call love, he calls need love. He describes this secondary or maybe even tertiary kind of love. Like I love pizza. As long as it's not little Caesars, as you all know. But it's a hunger, right? It's it's a a desire. It's 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 a desire. It's about me. It's it's about being filled up in some way from some deficit. It's what most people think about, either either inside or outside the church, when they think about relationships, about dating, about marriage, about friendship. Actually, even about the church. That I'm in it as long as I get something out of it, right? It's need love as long as it works for me, as long as it's, as it's meeting my requirements and meeting my desires and expectations, as long as I'm feeling it. If I'm feeling it, I'm in. But if, if I'm not feeling it anymore, as soon as my desires aren't me, being met, well then, you know, peace them out. That's need love. And what John's showing us, what he's challenging our heart's worth, is that the, the world says love is need love. And his love is totally different. He's talking about a love that loves your enemy, that loves your neighbor, who's just challenging to be around. It's a self-sacrificing love. So this command, what it does is it exposes the gap in my life and in your life, that it's not natural, not natural at all, and that's what Mother Teresa is saying, that we've forgotten, we've forgotten this love And that's one of the reasons why there's so much brokenness, why so many people are lonely or filled with hatred. We've forgotten and perverted the divine love that we all need so much. So John's declaration, his command about love, challenges us to say, so if it's not that love, if it's not need love, which is the most natural form, it's what everyone is operating out of, then what is it? What is this love? Well, John says, I'm glad you asked. Let me answer it, and he answers it by saying that it's love that sends his son, which frees our hearts to love. Now, verse 8 through 11, particularly 8 through 10, but let me read verse 8 through 11. John says, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Not that God has love, God is love. In this, the love of God has, was manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation, which is the atoning sacrifice or the sacrifice that atones for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Verse eight to 10, John's just saying, you can know what love is, because love came at Christmas. Love showed up in a manger. John, John is all about the incarnation. It's true in the book of John. It's certainly true in the epistle of John. He's trying to make it clear that that we can't understand love unless we understand that Jesus came in flesh and blood. That the ideal, this ideal love became real at Christmas for us through him. And that's the logic of verses 8 through 10, of how we can know what love is. As in verse 8, it says, you have to know God if you're going to know what love is. And great, so how how do I know God? Well, he answers, how how do you know this? Verse 9, you you know Jesus. How do I know God? You know Jesus. Verse 9, in this the love of God was made manifest. Oh, it's like he was answering our question that God sent his only son into the world. You say we say God is love and that it's somehow kind of this mysterious thing. But in some ways, it's not. It's right here, right? He came into the world. That's how we know love. He came. You want to know love? He came. Yes, there's some mystery, but it's accessible. It's, it's not beyond imagination. No, it's, it's real and it's concrete and it's historical as you and I sitting here today. Love came, that's love, John said. And if you really wanna know what love looks like, what love is, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those pages, you have the historical narrative, the historical picture of divine love, which is one of the reasons why we were reading through that this year as well. So if you're stuck and you're like, I don't know the love of God, I'm not seeing the love of God. I'm not experiencing the love of God. One of the best places to go is to begin in the Gospels again. Because what does love look like? Well, if you're reading the Gospels, people are hungry and Jesus feeds them. People are lame or they're sick and Jesus heals them. People are perplexed or they're confused or they don't understand and and Jesus leads them and he he teaches them. People are trapped in, in shame and guilt and Jesus forgives them. Some people are dead, and he brings them back to life. And at the end of his life, he does this unbelievably unthinkable thing. He, he dies forgiving those that are in that moment putting him to death unjustly. John would say, this is love. This, this is love. This is how we know love. This is what we've longed for and desperately sought after. It's what we aspire to. This is the love that liberates us to be who God intended us to be. It's what it means to be truly human. And J. I. Packer says this is one of the reasons why the New Testament writers, having been exposed to the reality of the love of God in Christ, they didn't have good words for it. And so really a, a newer word was coined in the New Testament, which is agape, which we're super familiar with, but that was not a common word used in Greek at the time. It was, in a sense, snatched by the New Testament writers to capture something different, what C.S. Lewis calls in the Four Loves, gift love. Because there's nothing like it to describe this divine love. Yeah, Roman and, and Greek, you know, they're gods. They loved, but their love was lust, right? It was for themselves. It was back to need love. It was about their desire their hunger their lusts their desires and they were in a sense children of poverty also but john says this is love that love walked the dusty streets of galilee it's what as we'll see in a second john, jonathan edward calls the overflow of heaven and i love jonathan edwards wrote a book called heaven um, a world of love and it's poetic and beautiful and one of the things he talks about is this vision of heaven and how it overflows And um, let's just imagine this with him. There in heaven, this fountain of love, this eternal three in one is set open without any obstacle to hinder access to it. There this glorious God is manifested and shines forth in full glory in beams of love. There the fountain overflows in streams and rivers of love and delight, enough for all to drink at and to swim in, yea, so as to overflow the world as it were with a deluge of love. Jesus is heaven overflowing into the earth with love. Jesus is the spilling over of this overflowing love in heaven which exists right now onto the earth for you and for me. This deluge of love came in flesh and blood. It is ultimate reality. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, awash in is this selfless love and this delight for one another, poured out and come in the presence of Jesus as a gift love. Now, this can seem remote. In the midst of what you've got going on today and the kind of week anyone's had, it can feel remote. It can seem like that thing that's over there. And that's the invitation of John. He's inviting us to lean in and move towards it. Um, it's interesting. In, in prepping this passage, this is such a rich, full passage, and there's probably like 12 sermons in it. But one of the things that's, that kept striking me, especially as, as I talked about, was was it all points towards all the commands are really about us loving other people, us loving one another. That's actually where all the energy of the passage is, right? That's all the commands are saying, dude, this is how you do it. This is what you do. You're a Christian, love one another. And we'd all be like, cool. So I could stand up here and just be like, hey guys, so here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you, you, know, like if you don't love God, you gotta love one another, right? So we're gonna love one another, high five, go outside, sign up for some stuff, right? I mean, that's what we could do. But, that's, but here's the thing, here's the thing. Like if you're sitting here and I'm, I, and I'm like, hey guys, we have to love one another. And it's just one another. Guess what? We have to love those people out there too. Even the crazies. Yes, we have to love people. Yes. But if it's not connected to the love of God, as we'll see in a second, like, then you're just going to walk up, pulling up your bootstraps, trying to be better than you were before. And you know what? It won't work any better than it's been working, if that's what you've been leaning on. Which is why this is so pivotal. Yes, the command is to love one another. That is the walk away. Let us love one another. But how we get there matters. I watched this, um, this TED Talk by a journalist named Sebastian Younger. Um, it's called, How Does War Teach Soldiers About Love? Uh, Younger wrote a book about this, this a few years ago. He was, he, like, he was at Restrepo, those of you who, uh, he like was encamped with the guys up on the hills getting shot at for like a day, like months at a time. And he's a war correspondent kind of guy, but he's doing this TED Talk. And he wrote a book because he found after interviewing platoon members, and experiencing most of them having gone through like some of the most difficult aspects of war. And he found this very peculiar paradox that part of their readjustment wasn't just PTSD, though that was a serious issue and is a very serious issue. But part of what was so perplexing or paradoxical is that they wanted to go back. So many of them, even experiencing PTSD, wanted to go back. They wanted to return because what they had discovered in the trenches is something that they did not know before. They discovered brotherhood. A brotherhood love that was found in combat and and in civilian life. They were unable to replicate, to duplicate the significance and the magnitude of what those circumstances drew out of one another. This is one of the things he says in, in in the talk. He says... He describes this reality that the experience. He says, there was a mutual agreement to put the safety of others ahead of yours, loving others more than you love yourself. Sounds familiar. There was a review of his book, and the reviewer said, he said, courage has always uh, defied rational analysis. Largely because, you know, the most extreme manifestation is a, is a soldier throwing himself on a, on a grenade to save his comrades. And it's just, it just seems completely irrational, if you just think about it rationally. But Younger finds that there's, there's this, as he calls this, crack in the nut. And he argues, listen, listen to what he argues, that courage is large, largely indistinguishable from love. That that courage is largely indistinguishable from love. The courage to throw yourself on a a grenade to save your brother is the kind of love that we all long for. That these soldiers had, some of them, really great parents who loved them. Some of them had spouses who loved them, and yet they longed for something that they'd experienced that was so pure, that was so total, that was so overwhelming, that it made them want to go back into conflict for it, This is the kind of love that we need. Jesus didn't primarily come just to show us what love, love looked like in deeds of mercy, though he did, okay? He didn't primarily come us to show by, by healing the sick, by, feeling, by feeding the hungry. That was all prelude for the ultimate act which Jesus would do when he would find himself dying on a cross, for you on purpose. That's the ultimate example of throwing yourself on a grenade. And that's what verse 10 says, right? And this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice, propitiation for our sins. There is no greater love than this. And even a soldier going back into war To be able to access this, to be able to touch this, to throw himself on a grenade is just a window. It's just a shadow of the real thing. That's the invitation that the Apostle John has for us, to become these kinds of people who identify as people of love. And, of course, you know, you see this in, in almost every great story, every great saga, right? Where my Harry Potter fans... Uh, how, how, what, what frames all of Harry's life? All of his courage? All... It's the love of his mother, right? She throws herself in front. She dies so that he might live. And it, and it frames everything about him. It becomes a defining quality of his life. the focal point of all his own sacrificial love. And, and here, it doesn't matter which story we're talking about. This is the key. Listen. You don't become a loving person by reading a book, by hearing a sermon about love. You become a loving person by being loved. It's the only way. It's how we're made, hardwired. The only way you become a loving person is by being loved. And I would say that all shortfall of love in me it is simply a manifestation of how I have not yet appropriated the love of God for me. Which means that all the shortfall of love in your life is simply a manifestation of the ways in which you have not yet appropriated the love of God for you. Which is a pretty great thing when you find yourself being really rude to someone or really angry at someone or hiding from that person, you know who they are. You can ask yourself the question, not like, why oh, am I not more loving? Come on, be more loving. No. What am I not believing about the love of God? What do I believe is insufficient in the love of God for me? In what ways am I not appropriating and grabbing and taking hold of the, the depth and the beauty and the power and the magnitude of the fact that he loved, he sent, he came, he died for us? I... I You know, people talk about the idea that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, which we we must, this is what this is. And there is no, we don't graduate from this. I don't care how theologically mature you get, I don't care how much you know your Bible, at the end of the day, we never graduate from the reality that we become loving people by being loved by God. Not by knowing about love, but by being and knowing his love personally, truly, directly. What John would say is he would, he would look at Harry Potter story and say, look how that galvanized him. And John would say, yeah, that's happened to you. That's happened to you, loved ones. That's happened for you. We need to get this deep into our soul and draw it deep into the recesses of our heart. And as we do, it will begin to yield love begin to yield love. How? God sends his son, which frees our heart to love. And then God gives us his spirit, which empowers our hearts to love. If you look at the remainder of verse 13 through 18 in particular, they point to just this idea that you can know in your head, but you must experience and know it more than that. So how do we work this into our life? I just told you the facts of it. You heard it from a sermon. You're probably not necessarily feeling it in this moment, though maybe some of you are hearing it from the Spirit. So how do we work this? How is this empowered in our life that love would become identity, an identity marker, that you're beloved? Well, our good friend, Dallas Willard, has good words of encouragement and perspective. He says, It's not an easy thing. Maybe the work of a lifetime. To live as if we are loved. To quiet the voices of self-condemnation. To live outside of the tiny cosmos of our own desires. To extend the grace that we have been shown and to act on a vision of humanity in which we are all equally loved by God. So Dallas says, It's hard. It takes something. It takes a lifetime of work. We have to to work it into our hearts, which you might be hearing me say this going like, okay, so you you know now what love is and it's true in essence and form. And and for some of you, that's not even close to new information. And I'm saying like, it's the thing that has to get into your soul. And so we have to work it into our hearts. To do what? Well, verse 18 would tell us, one, to cast out fear. Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever feared has not been perfected in love. It's the fear. How do we live verse, the verse 16 kind of life of love? out of our new identity. Verse 16 says, so we have come to know and to believe the love of God, the, I'm sorry, the love that God has for us. So h- how do we live that kind of love? How do we lie on God in that way? How do we come to know and believe and not just come to know and believe it once, but come to know and believe it later today when you need it? Well, John answers us. Once you recognize that most of the love we have is need-based love, and that we have an antithesis in Jesus Christ that, that we get to rely on and trust. The way God works that selfish love out of our hearts is by replacing it with a selfish love in our hearts. And he does so by verse 13, his spirit. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us. It's a double identity that we abide in him and that he in us, why, how? Because he has given us his spirit. He has given us his spirit. He's given us the power, life himself inside of you. If you're a Christian, and the way that the Spirit helps you become like verse 17, the like Jesusness, and then to love like verse 21, that we commanded to love one another, is that the Spirit takes the promises of God and he illuminates them. He, he, he basically puts a spotlight on them. He, he, the promises of God that are fulfilled in Christ, he just puts a spotlight on them and he, he makes them real to our souls and to our hearts. And that light, it shines as if it were into a dark room and it pushes out the darkness, which would be fear. The thing that's fighting against our love, the thing that's fighting against compromising and undermining our love is fear. And what is this fear? What is this anxiety? Well, fear and anxiety are all about that first love, about that thing that we need. What do you fear? What are you maybe in current fear of? Maybe it's something about a child or maybe you're worried you're gonna lose your job. Maybe you're concerned about getting sick or not being able to get over being sick. Maybe you're worried about a relational rejection by a family member. Or maybe you're struggling with family rejection from a friend. There's fear. There's the, I need this. I'm about to lose something. It's about needs. It's about that hunger that Mother Teresa talked about. Peter, on the night that he betrayed Jesus, he, he denies Jesus three times. It seems ridiculous. He, he had fear, he, was, he, he didn't wanna look a certain way in front of a certain set of people that were going to do something to him or at least condemn him and reject him. Being afraid of what people are gonna think of us. And these fears, they rob us of the love of God he's given to us. And when we don't have the love of God residing on us because fear has overshadowed us, then we have no chance of loving anyone. We're too hungry and too impoverished to love anyone. Now, John uses the word punishment. Did you see that? It's punishment, he says, means to be cut off. It means to, to lose. It means to be, to be lopped off, to lose out. That's exactly what Peter was worried about, about losing out or being cut off. In my own life, that's usually what I'm afraid of. I'm usually afraid of losing out. I'm usually afraid of being cut off relationally from people that really, really matter to me. I'm usually worried about getting cut off from an opportunity to really matter, to be a part of something that matter, to miss out on something I just think I have to have. In pretty much every single case, I'm, we're afraid of the future. We're afraid of something that isn't true yet, and this is why it's ironic, right? I mean, Jesus talks about it in, in Matthew chapter six and John chapter twelve, and he's always talking about, hey, don't worry about tomorrow; they got plenty of stuff going on today. Just, just worry about today. All shall be well, and I'll take care of tomorrow. And John's saying, listen, you, you don't have to have fear because the future is already sure for you. It's already true and sure, you can have confidence in the future so that you don't have to have fear in the present. Listen again to verse 17. By this the love is love perfected in us so that we may what? Have confidence for the day of judgment. This is how love is perfected. So that you can have confidence in the day of judgment. Come what may, all shall be well. What can man do to you? If we have that kind of confidence in our life because of what Jesus has done in the past then it floods us with confidence and that we can love and drive out fear and then love other people. This is what Tozer says. He says to know that love is to know that love is of God and to enter into the secret place leaning on the arm of the beloved this and only this can cast out fear. Let a man become convinced, right? This is the confidence he's talking about. Let a man become convinced that nothing can harm him. And instantly for him, all fear goes out of the universe. God is love and God is sovereign. His love disposes him to desire our everlasting welfare and his sovereignty enables him to secure it. That is is the kind of stability the love of God invites us into. When the Spirit points to the promises of the gospel and reminds us of what Jesus has done for us, how he was condemned when you should have been condemned, and therefore now there's no condemnation for you, that there is no experience of judgment to be had because all judgment has already been cast upon him then and only then are we finding ourselves free from fear and free to love. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what we get to ask the Holy Spirit to do. So, so today, later today, when you're having a moment, and you're, you're not wanting to love, you maybe know that you should, maybe the Spirit is prompting you to love, to, which of course looks like all the things, right? Forbearing, sacrificing, all the, all the one another's in the scriptures, like are under this umbrella of love one another. So all the things, so you're gonna find yourself, oh gosh, you might find yourself in the next 25 minutes there. Ne- longing, needing to, being called to love and you're not going to want to, what, what are you invited to do in that moment? What, what do you actually do in your heart? What do you do in your mind? You reach out to the Holy Spirit, you say, it's your job to illuminate Jesus, to show me what he's like, to, to refresh the reality of what he's done for me. It's the, my only hope. I'm, I'm frustrated, disappointed, or upset. I just, I just will, will you show me Jesus? That's, that's the invitation. That's, that's the rhythm. That's the, that's the discipline in a way. Because see, one of the things that, that this presupposes is that is that we're actually looking for and leaning on and making room for the Spirit to do this in us and with us. That, that we've carved out moments in our day, in our, in our weeks, where we're giving him space to remind us that we're loved. Loved ones, if you don't know the love of God in your heart, you're gonna go get it somewhere else. There is no other option. We're made for it, like we're made for it. You don't hold babies, they die. Like we're made for, it. it's built into our DNA. So if you don't receive it from the Lord and from the the gift of the community of the saints who are gonna remind you not just of how much they love you though, that's awesome because you are loved. But when we say you're loved, it's not primarily that you're loved by me or whoever's leading worship, it's that you're loved by the one who is love. It is the thing. And to the degree in which that is able to get into our hearts, and then as it sneaks out, is brought back in by the power of the Spirit, and as we find ourselves falling on our knees and broken down and not doing well and and rising up again and asking him, show me Jesus again. Holy Spirit, show me. That's what he does. We're asking him. We're we're praying in the Spirit according to the Spirit's will and purpose. He wants to do that. That's what worship is for. That's why, Stephanie, that's why it's meaningful. Like you... The song, if you'll let the worship, it'll do its work. It'll remind you of Jesus if you let it do its work. It's what you know, prayer journaling or just praying. It's what reflection and meditation are for. It's like we must refresh it in our souls. And you can run through rote exercises that won't do anything, but as we're yielded to the spirit who empowers the love of God to be shed abroad in our hearts, we become loving people. That's all I got for you. I can't make you more loving people. There's nothing I can say that's going to make you more loving people. You must know the love of God. I wish we could just fairy dust you or red pill or whatever. We don't have that. We don't have that. Instead, we have better. We have the spirit of God who if you belong to Jesus is in you and he wants to do this. And if you'll agree with him, you'll become a loving person and we'll become a loving community. And all the disunity and all the noise and all that stuff, like that stuff will go out the door because that's the kind of people God does and makes in us. So, there is a superhero, right? He came. He came for you. The, one, the, the best kind. Inimaginably, you couldn't have invented him this way. And he loved you. And he died for you. And he loves you now. And if you don't know him, you have a Savior who longs to know you by you giving your heart and your life to him and surrender. That's, that's what the gospel does. It, it just makes us new people who love because we've been loved. Are you love this morning? Not some ethereal, but the sacrificial love of God for you. I'll change you and Make us, make you love, which is what we want to be. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this table, we're reminded that you prepare a feast for us. A feast that's to remind us that this is your body and this is your blood and and it's just to remind us, this is love. This is what perfect love looks like. This is what perfect love does. And Lord, we, not only, we know we are not gonna be able to walk out these doors and display any of that if you don't put it in our hearts by grace through your spirit. So we're gonna come and receive these elements. And Lord, just ask as we take the bread, and as we take the cup, would you, by your mercy and by your grace, would you, would you allow that to be metabolized, your love to be metabolized in our body as these, um, and in our souls as these uh, elements are metabolized into our bodies that grace would abound and that we would love with an everlasting love, the divine love that we've received from you. Thank you. We worship you. Oh, how you love us. Thank you for being a God who loves and would take the punishment, the right wrath that we deserved on himself. We praise you today in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you belong to Jesus, this is your meal. A remembrance, a, a um, a true call to remember the love of God. So come and receive the grace of Jesus in his body and his blood for you.